Hi, I'm Michelle Adams, and welcome back to the Beyond Words podcast. This is the place where we sit down with the writers of your favourite books and talk to them about the inspiration behind the stories that they write. In each episode of this podcast, you'll get the chance to meet the author behind one of my favourite books and be introduced to a novel that I have personally loved and which I think and hope you'll love too. Beyond Words is where the story continues once the final page has been turned. Today's guest is a fabulous debut author who has written a book so tense and thrilling that it was snapped up by a preempt in an eight-way auction back in 2018. Her editor at Michael Joseph Books, Penguin, said at the time, there are a handful of books in a career that come along that inspire such passion and confidence that you simply know you have to publish it. She is originally from Chicago. She used to work as a copywriter, but is now living in the UK and has been since 2014. It is a pleasure today to introduce you to the author of The Recovery of Rose Gold, or Darling Rose Gold in the US, Stephanie Robel. Welcome to Beyond Words. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. It's an absolute pleasure to have the opportunity to talk to you about this book because I absolutely loved it. I read The Recovery of Rose Gold when it came out in March this year and I've been a long time fan of dark domestic thrillers and there's a lot of them about but this one really stood out for me. Um, So if it's okay by you I'd like to just ease into this conversation by uh, listening to you read the opening section of the book if that's okay. Sure, sounds great. Um, I'll preface it by saying the book is about a mother and daughter named Patty and Rose Gold, and the uh, the story is told from alternating their alternating points of view. And the first chapter is Patty's, so that's where we're starting. Is chapter one, Patty, day of release. My daughter didn't have to testify against me; she chose to. It's Rose Gold's fault I went to prison, but she's not the only one to blame. If we're pointing fingers, mine are aimed at the prosecutor and his overactive imagination, the gullible jury, and the bloodthirsty reporters. They all clamored for justice. What they wanted was a story. Get out your popcorn, because boy, did they write one. Once upon a time, they said, a wicked mother gave birth to a daughter. The daughter appeared to be very sick and had all sorts of things wrong with her. She had a feeding tube, her hair fell out in clumps, and she was so weak she needed a wheelchair to get around. For 18 years, no doctor could figure out what was wrong with her. Then along came two police officers to save the daughter. Lo and behold, the girl was perfectly healthy. The evil mother was the sick one. The prosecutor told everyone the mother had been poisoning her daughter for years. It was the mother's fault the girl couldn't stop vomiting, that she suffered from malnutrition. Aggravated child abuse, he called it. The mother had to be punished. After she was arrested, the press swooped in like Voldemort screamed for the blood of poisonous Patty, a 50-something master of manipulation. All the mother's friends fell for the lies. High horses were marched all over the land. Every lawyer, cop, and neighbor was sure they were the girl's savior. They put the mother in prison and threw away the key. Justice was served, and most of them lived happily ever after. The end. But where were the lawyers while the mother was scrubbing the girl's vomit out of the carpet for the thousandth time? Where were the cops while the mother poured over medical textbooks every night? Where were the neighbors when the little girl cried out for her mother before sunrise? Riddle me this. If I spent almost two decades abusing my daughter, why did she offer to pick me up today? And that's it. (laughs) That's fabulous. It's so great to hear it in your voice with the exact tone that you mean Patty to have. 
Yeah, it is really interesting. I always think to hear uh, authors read them, read it themselves, because, you know, even like the emphasis on specific words and just like, what's the tone, you know, it, it is interesting to hear people read it themselves. Definitely. The way you, the way you said, once upon a time, I thought that it really sets the tone of what Patty believes, because when you yeah. have that opening section, you get the strong impression, even more so now I've just heard you read it, that Patty very much believes she's in the right in all of this. You, you told us that this is two stories, two competing narratives, and straight from the off, you think Patty really believes that she's the one in the right. Yes, and she's a very sort of flip personality. You know, she she treats things that uh, she doesn't agree with as almost beneath her. You know, she takes a very sarcastic or cheeky tone, and, and that's no different. She does that right off the bat. And and it's very hard, I think, at times when you're reading this book to really know who you're supposed to be rooting for because on one hand, you believe what Patty's telling you and on the next hand, you believe what Rose Gold is telling you and, and it's that's what makes it so tense. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I knew from the beginning that I was writing some unlikable characters and, and for me, that that's never bothered me as a reader. I'm, I'm very happy to read unlikable characters as long as I'm very intrigued by them. You know, if, if they can make me laugh or even, you know, even mad, you know, as long as they're making me feel something, um, I'm willing to follow them where they're going. And so I just kind of, you know, you'll lose some readers that way with the unlikable thing, but you can't write the book for every single person. So I just kind of try to write the book that I would want to read. And and I feel exactly the same when it comes to unlikable characters. I don't think somebody has to be pleasant for me to want to follow their journey. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of it is about uh, kind of turning the notion of like good versus bad on its head, you know, because I think we do, as humans, we like to categorize and we, we want to know from the outset, okay, who's the good one? Who am I rooting for here? And as you say, I think, that's not so clear cut in this book and that's intentional. You know, I think it, it's not, I mean, you think of the kind of, this is a real life phenomenon, Munchausen by proxy. Um, for anyone who's not familiar, it's when a caregiver fakes or induces illness in the person they're caring for, which is often a child. And in real life, people with Munchausen by proxy are able to fool their neighbors and the teachers and doctors around them. And, you know, they do so because they are very charismatic and manipulative. So, um, it wouldn't do to just have a character who was, you know, everyone hated her and nobody was fooled by her because then how would she be able to pull this off? Yes. And that was the next thing that I wanted to, to ask you about, actually, which is about the Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Um, what was it about that syndrome particularly that you were drawn to? Well, I think, you know, I first found out about it from my best friend who is an elementary school psychologist in the U.S. And this idea, first of all, it's it's very strange that you, the, these mothers, typically mothers, uh, go to such lengths to take care of their child while they're also abusing them. You know, I, I think those two things don't square up to, a, to the average mind or to the healthy mind. Um, so that was one thing that I wanted to try to understand. And I also wanted to try to understand, do these women know that they're lying or do they honestly think they're doing what's best for their children? That was what was really keeping me up. And so even though Rose Gold is the titular character, it was really Patty who was the impetus for the story because I, I just wanted to walk around in her head and try to figure out how does she see the world? Like, how does she, you know, how does she live with herself? Yeah, but after what she's done. Yeah, exactly. I remember reading a lot of cases about Munchausen syndrome by proxy in the news and often 
These people are caregivers, such as nurses in a hospital or doctors. And I often used to wonder whether these people are drawn to nursing for altruistic reasons and something tips them into the behaviors behaviors that are associated with Munchausen syndrome by proxy or the impetus is already there and that therefore they are drawn into a into a position where they have access to people who who are vulnerable that's an interesting question as far as you know why they get into nursing i know you know universally pretty much anyone who has munchausen by proxy was either severely abused or neglected themselves as a child and so as an adult, they're trying to get that attention and care that they missed as kids, uh, which is really sad and was also part of the, you know, as we were just talking about this sort of good versus evil thing, you know, it's it's not so easy when you start to find out and peel back some of the histories of the of these um, adult that these adults had, uh, you know, of course, I'm not condoning this behavior. Obviously, a lot of people suffer abuse as children and then go up to be perfectly functioning adults and fantastic parents. So it's strange that some people kind of take a left turn, but I'm not sure if they're attracted to that field. And because there's, you know, it's, it's naturally a caregiving industry or if it's, you know, once you start to really gain sort of a scientific encyclopedic knowledge of the of the industry that that then lends itself to faking these illnesses you know i i think if somebody really if somebody really wanted attention in a different way they could seek that but this munchausen by proxy specifically requires such intense medical knowledge because otherwise you know how could you pull off all of these fake lab results and things like that so it's interesting i don't i don't totally know i don't have an answer to that question it's such an interesting thing, uh, the, the drive behind these kinds of characters, which I think is one of the things that makes these kinds of books so interesting to read. Um, and going back to the start, you chose to open the book with Patty. And I guess the alternative to that, we could have seen opening the book with Rose Gold, especially being the type of character. And I wondered what, what drew you to opening up with Patty's story? Was there a specific reason that you wanted to start with the mother's story rather than the title character? Well, um, I mean, with the title thing, it's interesting. I never actually envisioned her of Rose Gold being in the title. That was something that came, yeah, that came with the agent and publisher stuff. So I actually was kind of resistant to it, to be honest, being in the title at first, because I viewed it equally as being both of their stories. And so when that suggestion came up, you know, basically it was like, there was a lot of feedback like, oh, this is a really interesting name. I think it could stand out. Like maybe we put this in the title. And I, I was initially resistant because I was like, well, this is Patty's story too. So it's interesting that, that you asked that. I mean, I think, I think part of the reason I started with Patty is she's the present day timeline, you know, so she is sort of moving us forward and then whereas rose gold is kind of always playing catch up she's five years earlier and her storyline takes place you know during the five years while her mother is away um but yeah also because like i said patty was who drew me to the story so i just i was i was always starting with her i was always like thinking of her point of view first and she was also the easier character to write i don't know what that says about me but um she certainly doesn't go through well, I don't want to give too much away, but her character did not change as much as Rose Gold's does. So she was, you know, more consistent and she kind of flew out of my hand, you know, and onto the page, <laughs> more fully formed. 
some characters just arrive like that. They they yeah. come as they are and they don't change. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about the other character because obviously Rose Gold is just as important in the story. It's a mother-daughter story um, about their relationship and how Munchausen syndrome by proxy affects that. But when we're introduced to Rose Gold, we also get the early impression that perhaps Rose Gold is not quite as nice a person as we might have wanted it to be because one of the first instances we see Rose Gold taking her mother back to her mother's family home where she herself was uh, a victim of some level of abuse. So it gives you the idea that these generations of history seem very important where the story is is going and I wondered if you create character profiles in advance of that so you know all the history or whether it's something that that is created slowly and organically as you write the book. That backstory basically came from my research. So I, I don't want to say I'm a slave to the research, but certainly, you know, when you're portraying a complex psychological disorder like this one, I wanted to get the basics right. Um, and yes. because of that, you know, that history of childhood abuse that's so common in these perpetrators, I, I knew that I wanted to give that to Patty. And also, you know, that does make you sympathize with her or at the very least take a step back and reconsider and not just, you know, immediately cast her as the villain. So that was something I always knew that um, was in her backstory from the get go. Uh, it was just a question of when to sort of reveal it to the reader and how much depth to go into. Right. And when you're creating them, do you like to use um, character profiles or images of people? Because the descriptions of these people in the book, they they feel very raw and real. You can visualize them very well. And some of the descriptions are, are less than complimentary. And I wondered if you are stimulated in a visual way, whether you have photographs of people or... You know, I find it actually really hard to write description. It's, I mean, more so with setting, but even characters too. Like, it's just not my natural strong suit. So I do like to have aids where I can and visual aids, as you say, I think they're really helpful. So... I did have, you know, somebody in mind for each of the characters. Sometimes it's, you know, somebody from a past life, like in this case, you know, uh, a high school teacher is who I was picturing. Um, I I got along with her perfectly well. It wasn't like a grudge or anything like that. But, um, you know, just I, it is helpful, I think, to have uh, a, a photo or two to just kind of lean on and start, you know, pulling out the specifics of a person's face. It's interesting there as well, you mentioned about not having a grudge on your high school teacher, because we get the impression that Rose Gold does have a grudge against her mother. And do you think that Rose Gold's actions are a product of her upbringing without giving anything away? Or do you think that perhaps there is something about Patty that she passed on to her daughter and they are one and the same person? Uh, probably both like the, the nature versus nurture question I think is really interesting but in both cases you know Rose Gold is kind of screwed <laughs> because her mother yes. was you know her mother was exclusively behind both of those you know she grew up with only Patty um, isolated in this house so yeah I think you know she's definitely a product of her upbringing um, all of the coping mechanisms that she's been taught have come from Patty, who clearly doesn't have healthy coping mechanisms to begin with. So, yeah, you know, and, and again, also without, you know, giving too much away, 
anyone that Rose Gold has turned to outside of Patty while Patty's gone, you know, most of these people have failed her and failed her pretty miserably. So, you know, we put ourselves in her shoes and it's kind of like, well, if we were getting the kinds of feedback and responses from people that she was or she has, you know, we might also be drawn to some less than uh, upstanding actions. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Because she really does go through the mill when it comes to her past. And there are, there are periods actually in the book where I feel as a reader you can really sympathise with her. And there's, there's one particular scene where she visits her mother in prison and she's trying to ask her to confess. Um, and her mother just, just discredits it completely, discredits her own conviction. And Rose Gold just seems absolutely shattered. Um, and equally, the scenes where Rose Gold is trying to reconnect um, with other relatives. Isolation seems to play a big part in Rose Gold's actions. Yeah, I mean, I think she just doesn't, she's never been taught the normal standards of social etiquette. So, yes, with, when she, go, she goes to see Patty, of course, uh, she, like, a lot of, I mean, most of that, if not all of that, is on Patty. Like, Rose Gold keeps giving her you know, chances. But as far as Rose Gold's relationships with other people, you know, the rest of us are sitting there reading and uh, she invites herself on this trip and we're cringing and we're like, it's too soon. How could you do that? But she doesn't know, you know, she sees it as like, this is family. Why wouldn't they want me there? Like, I'm one of their number. I'm so excited about this. And so she continues to make these kinds of mistakes because again, she did grow up in isolation. She doesn't know any better. Nobody taught her like, oh, you actually don't do that kind of thing. You don't just invite yourself to this or this is not an appropriate response to that. Um, that was really the challenge of writing her character is I kept having to go back and think like, wait a second, she wouldn't know this you know, pop culture reference or she wouldn't realize that like this was a joke, like her coworker was just making a sarcastic joke. Like he's not actually mad at her or something. So that was an interesting challenge for sure. What other kinds of challenges did you have when writing these characters? I think, I mean, as I said before, Patty was, Patty came pretty easily, but it was, it was really Rose Gold who was most of the challenge. Um, In addition to her character development, there was also the matter of her voice, which was kind of strange. Um, She just, especially at the beginning of the book has a much more um, adolescent or even childish sort of way of speaking you know she has all these weird phrases that aren't phrases anybody else would say that are clearly like something that was kind of an inside thing between her and her mother so it's just um I think the hardest part of writing is developing characters from scratch and I haven't figured out like a faster way to do it the only thing I can think to do is like the more drafts you go through with the character like you start picking up little quirks and oddities and so basically it was just like after spending, you know, month after month on the page with her, it was like these things start coming to the forefront and you start feeling like, okay, this isn't just like another vanilla character, you know, this is starting to feel like a person. They start to have more dimensions. Yeah, exactly. There's a, another theme that I, I picked up on while I was reading this seems to be about forgiveness. And the scene that I mentioned about uh, Rose Gold going to the, the prison and trying to talk to, to Patty and ask her to confess, that seemed very much the moment to me when she realized that there wasn't going to be the hope of forgiveness and I just wonder really whether you think it would ever be possible even with the best will in the world for for Rose Gold to forgive 
come over for something like that? I mean, I think that, yeah, I, I think it's possible. You know, I think that they would maybe do well in an alternate universe to have a third party there sort of healthfully facilitating that because the two of them clearly are not very good uh, at communicating on their own. But I mean, you do look at how many times do, in any kinds of abusive situation, does the person being abused go back and forgive their abuser? And I, you know, I'm not saying that's the healthy solution or that's the right solution, but, you know, there there are certainly plenty of instances throughout history of people doing that. Um, and it's kind of a different question than whether, like, should they, you know, should she forgive her versus can she? I think, yes, if, if, if Patty had told her what she wanted to hear and she had gotten that apology and that sort of um her mother taking responsibility for all of that i think that she could have forgiven her but that's not what happened <laughs> i'd love to talk about the the sort of crescendo of the book but we can't because i don't want to give anything away but needless to say the climax of the story for me i found it really really exciting i really loved the way that it ended it feels almost like a path of redemption and I wondered if the ending is how you intended when you set out to write the book or whether it was something that changed as you got to know your characters. Well the very first draft of the book was a different premise altogether. I mean it was these two main characters but I basically ended up throwing that whole thing away but once I got to the to the premise of okay Patty's getting out of jail and Rose Gold, we're gonna, Rose Gold is going to be the story of what happened while Patty was away. Once I got to that point, yes, I always knew that that was how the story was going to end. I never was considering, you know, a happier ending, not to give too much away, uh, because this is just what felt right to the characters. And considering their histories and what has happened to them, I don't think that it would have been realistic that they, you know, would have just rode off into the sunset together. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, and do you think Patty, when she comes out of prison, that she really wants to make amends with Rose Gold? I think that she loves Rose Gold and she cares for her daughter and she wants to be close to her, but she doesn't she doesn't think that she has anything to apologize for. You know, she she wants to control her daughter, and I think love and control for her are so like tightly wound together that I don't think she can really separate them. So, you know, she was, she wants things to go back to the way they were basically, which of course yeah. Rose Gold doesn't want and nobody wants, she's the only one who wants that. So yeah, I think, I mean, I just think she wants to control the environment around her and everyone around her so deeply that she's kind of willing to manipulate and do whatever it takes to get that. It's, as I say, it's a fabulous, it's a fabulous ending. I love the way the book ended and it felt very, um, it felt very right. I, I think sometimes when we read a book, we're looking for, I don't know whether it's called a happy ending or just a hap or an ending really that makes you feel, okay, yeah, things were settled. I don't think that you get to the end of reading this book and say, okay, things are settled. Things still feel very risky for everybody involved but it felt very right was that very satisfying for you as a writer to write that sort of slightly open end yeah I actually I was just talking about another author with this uh or about this the other day um I think that 
as a writer, I want to, I, you know, I want to wrap up the main questions, but I don't mind. And in fact, actually like to leave a smaller question or two unanswered, because I think letting the reader imagine where these characters go from here is kind of fun. You know, I mean, yeah. again, going back to going back to just my own reading preferences, it, it frustrates me as a reader if, you know, the main questions weren't answered. If it's too ambiguous, then it's like, okay, come on, you, you didn't write an ending, you just kind of skipped around it. But, you know, yes. to have some smaller things left, I think is almost like even more chilling, because it's just like, oh, God, what's going to happen next? You know, the, the reader's imagination can sometimes, yeah, can sometimes supply like much worse than, you know, whatever I would write down on the page. A little bit like, um, I don't know whether you're into things like horror movies, but I remember that when I first watched The Blair Witch Project, I just found mm. the fact that we didn't really know what the threat was to be the most terrifying thing about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the, the phenomenon of like, what's under the bed or what's in the closets or, you know what I mean? The the yeah. sort of black void of un the unknown is almost more terrifying. The issues that you deal with are very hard-hitting, like, suicide and mental illness what is it about this genre that really draws you in yeah it's interesting I don't know when I wrote this that I necessarily intended like okay time to write my suspense or thriller you know book um I think because of the topic you know Munchausen by proxy and child abuse like it kind of lends itself to that naturally but I mean it's really the psychological aspect that intrigues me most in writing. It's just, you know, examining people who are kind of outliers in society and don't behave the, the way that the rest of us do and wanting to know why that is, you know, what motivates them? Why, why did they just do that thing that I cannot understand or would never in a million years do? And so that's really yeah. what I'm trying to get at the heart at whenever I'm attacking a story. So can we expect your next book to deal with similar issues? Uh, my next book is about a cult. So I guess Ooh. in the sense of, yeah, so I guess in the sense of control and, you know, sort of a charismatic uh, ne'er-do-well, yes. Um, but yeah, different topic, obviously. Um, I For this one, I just, I was really, I've always been fascinated by cults. And it seems like a lot of other people have too, because anytime I say it's about a cult, people are like, ooh. <laughs> um, I'm curious, I wanted to know an answer to, answer the question or try to anyway why do people join them and why do people start them and so I have you know three point of view characters in this next book and it's the leader a member and the member's sister who is trying to bring her home and when can we expect that that will be out early 2022 okay and the paperback for Darling Rose Gold so the paperback will be out um, early next year so I think January or February 2021. That's amazing well I for one am very much looking forward to your next book um, for anyone that hasn't already read The Recovery of Rose Gold or Darling Rose Gold in the US I hope if they're listening to this that they've been inspired <laughs> to pick up the book because it's absolutely brilliant it's one of my favorite recent thrillers. Thank you so much that's so nice of you to say. Oh, it's Stephanie it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today um, I wish you all the best in your writing for your next book and uh, thank you very much for your time thank you for having me Michelle this was a lot of fun uh, it's been great fun thanks very much Stephanie